All right, recording. Welcome to Worldwide Bible Class. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, St. Paul and Jesus, Deaf Lutheran Church. It's good to see you all here live. If you're not joining us live, if you're watching this recording later, uh, 9 o'clock Texas time, Wednesday mornings, studying uh, the book of Genesis, the life of Jacob with Martin Luther. So we're going through the Genesis commentary, which is really great. And we're at the spot now where Isaac has left Laban. He's traveled down south. Uh, his wives, his family, they're all there. He hasn't crossed the river yet to see Esau, but uh, Laban has tracked him down. And the Lord appeared to him in a dream and says, don't hurt Jacob, you crook. Well, so um, he's going to uh, respond. Basically, Jacob responds to Laban. It's a pretty amazing response. And then, and then we're in, so we're in that conversation. And they're about to set up a monument to for the two of them. And they're going to you see the monument different ways. Jacob's going to say, "Look, this you I, I won't cross that way. You don't come this way." Uh, and and Jacob's trying to get away from Laban, who is just a crook all the way along. So here we go. Now let's look at the um, uh, here. Here's Jacob, who says to him, who says to Laban, "Let me get this all set up here. Unless God, uh, unless God my, uh, unless the God of my father." the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac. That's a really beautiful term. And and we just ended last time talking about how the fear of Isaac is the Son of God incarnate. This is talking about Jesus. The fear of Isaac, unless God, the God of my father Abraham, the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. This is the rapacious what, how did Luther call it? The rapidity, the rapidity of Laban, Nabal, this, he, he wants everything for himself. And he's a hypocrite about it as well. So God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. In other words, that vision that you had was a rebuke. Wow. So that's where we are. So now, uh, Luther comments, uh, the fear here, the fear of Isaac indicates the Son of God incarnate, whom the patriarchs and par uh, prophets beheld in the promises uh, and of whom they taught. So this is what the patriarchs, the fathers, and the prophets all were looking forward to, the fear, the, the, the coming Christ, the Messiah. It was promised in the beginning, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. And that promise, that Genesis 3.15 promise is the Mm, the fountainhead of all of the Old Testament promises. It's beautiful, actually, that from this Genesis 3.15 come, uh, especially this, we see the seed of Eve, then to Noah, then to Abraham, then to Isaac, then to Jacob, then to Judah, then to David, then to Mary. And the seed of the woman crushes the serpent's head. And that promise is woven all the way through so here in your seed shall all the nations be blessed that's to abraham this one that's the seed the fathers feared and worshiped as the jewel and kernel of the bodily promises now it's interesting that the promise of the messiah is connected to their bodies to their seed it's why this the, the covenant of circumcision was given it's connected to their having of children they were shells or husks given to strengthen their faith as they reared a posterity for Christ's sake. Remember, and we can't probably emphasize this enough, that um, 
I wonder if I draw a picture, what will happen? I want it to be black. So I give myself a blackboard here. Uh, that the Lord Jesus is in the Old Testament in three unique ways. And I think, again, I, I remember I was talking to my friend, Pastor Ketchmeyer. If you're in Australia, Pastor Ketchmeyer is coming to see you today. I think he landed today or yesterday. He should be there. Go uh, take a look at him. There's a there's a young adult retreat happening now, and he's going to be teaching at it. So I, I used to say, well, everybody knows this, uh, that Jesus is in the Old Testament, and he's, he rebuked me. Uh, and he says, no, you are wrong. Uh, we be, People read the Old Testament like it's a Christless book, like the Old Testament is about God the Father, and Jesus doesn't show up until the New Testament. So Jesus is in the Old Testament, and it's good for us to remember that he's he's in the Old Testament in three ways. Jesus is in the Old Testament via the promise. So that's so that's what we're talking about here, Genesis three fifteen, etc. The promise of the Virgin, the promise of the triumphal entry, the promise of the being born in Bethlehem, the uh, the all of these what we call direct messianic promises, and there's there's dozens of them. I, I, I think that I have a list somewhere on the website. Someone maybe can track that down and put it in the chat. There's of 72 direct messianic promises. And and this has been used throughout the history of the church for, from the very, very beginning as proof of the veracity and truthfulness of Scripture and of who Jesus is. In other words, you have these promises, and if Jesus is not the one that kept those promises, then the promises aren't kept. This was one of the great apologetic arguments that the Christians used against uh, the Jews in early on. It says, well, look, uh, you see these same promises. We say they were kept in Jesus. You say they haven't been kept yet. And there was a time limit on some of them, like the 70 weeks of Daniel. That was a that was a promise with a time connected to it. And uh, and here they say that wasn't that hasn't been kept. So so D Jesus is there by by promise. This is really important. Um we have the Christmas promises. A virgin will conceive a, a root from the stump of Je a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Uh, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. His name will be Emmanuel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you look at, um, especially Matthew, the beginning of Matthew, it quotes it has seven of these Old Testament promises that are fulfilled in Christ. Uh, and and the whole kind of preface to Matthew is Jesus is the one promised. Romans has these everywhere. Uh, Hebrews, of course, has them everywhere. So Jesus is there by promise. The second is that Jesus is there by picture. We sometimes call this type, that um, that mm, there's types of Christ. I don't think, I, I mean, that's fine. The Bible uses the language of type and anti-type. And so that's that's good, although there's so much with typology that it becomes a, I, I just prefer to say, look, Jesus is pictured. So for example, on the Passover, when the blood of the lamb is put on the doorpost, that's a picture of the crucifixion. In fact, all of the sacrifices are pictures of Jesus, because the, because in the sacrifice, the Lord is saying, I will accept the death of another in your place. The ram caught in the thicket. Uh, the ark becomes a picture of how Jesus saves us through baptism, etc. So that Jesus is pictured uh, as our Savior and our friend in the Old Testament, and sometimes just by the history, and mo but most of the time, these pictures are are crafted by God. 
So he he says to Moses, remember, he says, strike the rock and it will bring forth water. And then he says, speak to the rock and it'll bring forth water. But instead he strikes it. And that's why Moses doesn't get to enter the promised land, because God was trying to make a picture of the two comings of Jesus, how Jesus comes first to be struck to be struck and then to bless in the church. And I at least this is my idea. And Moses messes up the picture so that um so that when we we see what the Lord has instituted, he's he's painting a beautiful picture of what is going to happen when Jesus comes on the cross, etc. And he's there, he's just present. This is the third way that Christ is in the Old Testament, is that he's just in the Old Testament. So when, when the Lord is talking to Moses out of the burning bush, well, that's Jesus. When the Lord is walking with them in the garden, that's Jesus walking in the garden. When the Lord comes to visit, the commander of the Lord comes to visit Joshua, Jesus comes to visit him. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. When the three, when the angel, the two angels and God come to visit Abraham, that's Jesus there uh, visiting with Abraham. When the Son of God is with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the uh, in the fiery furnace, that's Jesus in the fiery furnace. Or even when the presence of God comes into the temple and sits on the mercy seat in glory. That that's uh, And you see the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Well, that's Jesus, second person. And, and the reason we know that is because, because John chapter 1 says, nobody at any time has seen God, but the only begotten God who's in the bosom of the Father has revealed him. So when God is being revealed, when God is being seen, we say, ah, unless something in the text is going to indicate that it's God the Father or God the Spirit, we're going to assume that it's God the Son, so that Jesus is there in the Old when I think when we say, uh, when we hear uh, the word um, of the Lord came to Amos, well, what do we think of? The word of the Lord. We, I think we like some sort of abstract idea like floats into the head of Amos. It could be. But Jesus is the word, the logos. I think Jesus came, to, that's how we should read, Jesus came to visit Amos or whatever. Uh, Janet says, uh, what about Melchizedek? The question for Melchizedek, this is an interesting one, and, and we have it in in, um, in Hebrews, that Melchizedek is, is either a picture of Jesus or Jesus himself. And some people want to say that that. Melchizedek was Jesus, kind of a Jesus showing up. I prefer to think that Melchizedek was a, a normal guy, maybe even Shem is what Luther thinks, but he he became a picture of Jesus, the high priest. So Jesus is present in the Old Testament in these three ways, which is really, really good. Okay, now if you have questions about that, that's uh, let me know. But here you see Luther talking about this here, is that the, you had these promises, the seed and they were they that's the one they were looking for so that it's not you know this idea that uh, Christ is the doctrine is hidden in the old testament revealed in the new testament i i really want to push back on that and say no no that that the fathers if Abraham, if you were to talk to jacob if jacob were for some reason to zap forward in history and come to austin texas he would not he would not go to the synagogue. He would come to the Lutheran church and he would confess the creed with us. That, that we are that we the same doctrine that Jacob confessed, we confess. Now we confess it, they confess it in a waiting way. We confess it in a in a looking back way. Anyway.
was Jesus not physically present in the men who visited Abraham or the wrestling with Jacob? I No, I think exactly right. He was present. He was there with them. Uh, and we got to get to see what Luther says about the wrestling with Jacob. And we're, we're heading towards that here pretty quickly. But yeah, I, absolutely, that he was present with them. He was there. Okay. Now, we've not made much progress. Let's keep going here. So in your seat, the one of the fathers feared and worshipped as the jewel and crown. Oh, well, maybe we can't go too fast because we cannot. They feared and worshipped. And especially this fear is going to always be connected with worship because fear is what your heart does. Remember, the heart does three things. It fears, it loves, it trusts. And that fearing and loving and trusting is our worship. It's just, that's the activity of the heart. And so whatever you put your fear in, your love in and your trust in, that is what you are worshiping. And here they say, they worship the jewel and kernel of the promise. They worship that one, the seed that was on the way. They worshiped Jesus. They were not radical monotheists. They worshiped Jesus. And this clarity, I think we ought to have also, just as Christians, to say, we worship Jesus. So the Holy Spirit signifies that Isaac waited for that seed with great longing and worshiped it. Jacob here glories in the future Christ, whom his father worshiped. So that the fear of Isaac, so that Isaac, even though he was he messed up a little bit on hearing the word of God and passing on the blessing, he wanted to give the blessing to Esau instead of Jacob, etc. But anyway, Jacob, Isaac was looking for Jesus. And and he this is why. Jesus is called the fear of Isaac, whom his father worshipped. We should also carefully remember that these striking passages should be referred to Christ. So we read the Old Testament as a Christian book, not as a, not as a, a kind of a, in other words, God, it's not like the doctrine of the Trinity shows up in the New Testament, or the doctrine of the Incarnation, or the doctrine of the Messiah, or the doctrine of the substitutionary atonement, or the distinction between law and gospel, or all of these things. They're all there. Also, we're in Genesis chapter 31, and these are all there. In fact, when when Luther, you remember Luther? When Luther wants to say, hey, why do we believe in the Trinity? He says, Genesis 1-1. This is, it's, 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 it's baked into the whole thing. We have several of this kind of promises above, and I think when Luther says above, he's talking about, you know, what's to come, especially with Shiloh. Uh, that's the, um, the scepter will not depart from Shiloh. That's the name that Jacob is going to give to Jesus when he blesses Judah, who is the son of the uterus, the son of the womb. We should not follow the interpretation of the rabbis who obscure Christ in horrible fashion. For the fathers carefully took notice of this jewel enclosed in their body, bodily blessings and worshipped it. Otherwise, Jacob would not have said here, the fear of Isaac, for he's the son of God, Christ Jesus incarnate in the second person. Nor does he speak in this way because he is another God from the God of Abraham, but to signify the mystery of the Trinity. There it is in the Old Testament. In this matter, these emphatic words, which Moses scatters like jewels here and there in his writings, are wonderfully sweet, provided they are referred to Christ. In other words, you this is like a a diamond. You're reading along, and there's a diamond. There's a there's a precious jewel. Luther says, You can't miss these. They're there. You better not miss them. And and miss that they refer to Jesus. If you if you refer to something else, then you're gonna miss the glory of it. In this matter, with these emphatic words, oh yeah. 
that provided their connect refer to Christ. For other explanations are cold and rotten, about the, like the one about the sacrifice of Isaac. So referring back to that, to the rabbinic interpretation and and the idea that it's not about Jesus. If you, we have three passages in the New Testament that are especially important when it comes to to reading Jesus, to reading the Old Testament with a focus on Jesus. And it's probably good to cover them here. So the first is, let's see if I can remember, John chapter 5, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And he says, you search the scriptures, thinking that in them you have life, and you don't recognize that these testify of me. So that, so that Jesus says, the scriptures speak about me, if you and and the scriptures are talking about is the Old Testament. There, the New Testament had had not yet been written, so these testify of me. John chapter five. the The other and very important one is Luke twenty four, the road to Emmaus. Remember how Jesus hides himself and he's walking along with with his two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he says, "Oh, it's so beautiful. Why are you so gloomy?" He says, and and they look at him. Are you the only? Are you a strange? The only one that didn't know what happened here in Jerusalem. And, the, and Jesus says, what things? It's so great. And they explain about Jesus, how they had hoped. Oh, their hope is gone. And Jesus begins in Moses and all the prophets and explained to them that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer before he entered into glory. So Moses and all the prophets, and he says, and Jesus says that Moses and the prophets spoke of him, not only the Christ, but of his suffering and his before he entered into glory. That's the tomb. That's the resurrection from the tomb. Uh, so that it's not not only does it speak do the do the does the Old Testament speak of Jesus, it speaks specifically about his suffering and glory. And then the last one is, I believe, Acts chapter 10. Probably should have looked these up earlier. But it's so someone can correct me if I'm this is a preaching of Peter. And Peter in Acts chapter 10 says that all the prophets testified. I was going to look it up. Someone can. All the prophets testified that that uh, the forgiveness of sins comes in his name. Can we? I'm just going to confirm that. Here's Peter's preaching. There's Mm. Here it is, Acts chapter 10, verse 43. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So that, so that not only does it speak of Jesus and his death and resurrection, it also speaks of the forgiveness of sins. So that, that if you are reading the Old Testament, and you are not reading about Jesus and his life, suffering, death, and resurrection and the resulting forgiveness of sins, then you are missing the Old Testament. Yep. Okay. Um, now, uh, let's see. Uh, Jerry says, oh, I got a lot of comments here. Let me see here. Um God likes to hide his wisdom from the learned and reveal it to the little ones. Some could read the Old Testament and see Jesus everywhere. Others read it completely and miss Jesus, right? 
Pastor Jordan, Jesus preaching about the I am in John 8 is also a key text considering the response. He knew he was saying that he was God of the burning bush. Right. Perfect. The whole dialogue between Gideon and the angel of the Lord moves between referencing the angel and Yahweh. When it all ends, the Lord comforts Gideon by telling him he will not die after seeing the angel of the Lord face to face. Uh, this is the Trinity and the Gospel are in the Old Testament. That's right. Exactly. Okay. I'm just looking here that I'm apparently chatting with everyone in the waiting room. I should probably change that. You guys are all here, right? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, let's see. Okay. These are the truest and most beautiful adornments of these stories with which the Holy Spirit describes the acts of the saintly patriarchs that are so mean and trifling that they seem worthless and wicked to hypocrites and papists, but they represent the highest wisdom and faith. Therefore, whatever the saints do, however, in, this is an important passage right here. Whatever the saints do, however insignificant and sordid, uh, however lowly they seem, however humble they look like, it is great and glorious. Why? Because they do it by faith in the word. That is, in innocence and holiness, faith purifies us. Christ says, believe and you will be well. That is, you'll be clean and holy, and what you do will be clean, holy, and useful, just as there's nothing useless in a sheep. I don't know. I, I cannot confirm the veracity of that statement about sheep if there's nothing useless, because it seems like sheep are mostly useless. But when they, this is the point, is when faith turns our hearts to the word of God, and it turns God's affections also to us. For even the dung and the bones have their use, not only the milk and the wool. The murmurings in the saints are the dung. I guess you can burn sheep dung. I don't know exactly what you can do with it, Luther. Seems to know here. Uh, they don't injure the saints, however, but all things work together for their good, so that by faith everything becomes becomes pure and holy. So This is so beautiful and comforting. Because they live, act, and suffer in their faith in the word. Thy word says Christ is truth, John 17. Therefore, he who apprehends and believes the word is upright, holy, and righteous. On the contrary, all the enemies of the word, although outward holy, are worthless and damned. So what makes the difference? Word and the word and faith in the word. These things should be carefully noted for our consolation. Look, this is I mm, I mm, do you see do you see how mm, can I tell you a story? I'll tell you a story. I I was one one time taking a class on it was on Galatians. And we were reading some modern commentaries on Galatians. And I I was hoping to include the Gen Luther's Genesis, or sorry, Luther's commentary on Galatians, his Galatians, greater Galatians. And um, a couple of guys in the class indicated that Luther's commentary wasn't a real commentary because he was too interested in, in comforting people. That there, there is an attitude that, that kind of, that reading the Bible, I don't know, that you can read it like a pastor or you can read it like a scholar, 
if it, if there's something that I want to press into my own mind as we study Luther and yours also is that to to receive comfort from the scriptures wisdom and comfort from the scriptures is to get what God is doing with the scriptures so Luther here is this is remember lectures at the seminary in Wittenberg where he has all these students coming and he's lecturing and these guys are training to be pastors and he's going to send them out and he says we have to derive consolation and teaching for the church from these things we have to look at these things in this way that's the purpose of the text that's that's what that's what we're doing these things should be carefully noted for our consolation and teaching and for that of the church what the doctrine of faith and the extolling of the word so that we may know that our life is pleasing and acceptable to God also in its humble duties it's not just the fa- in, in fact it's especially not the fancy stuff it's the humble stuff it's the getting after it it's the it's the hard work that the and that and and it that nobody sees that nobody's proud of that 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 nobody pats you on the back about or whatever it's just the simple stuff that's done in faith in in faith toward god and in love to our neighbor and and, and now that makes us upright upright holy and righteous the lord delights in it it's it's even it's the lord is even pleased with the with the dung of the sheep it makes it useful even and that's what our 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 groanings are and our suffering even even our suffering is brought into the into the into the kindness of god and sanctified by his word reason in the world don't know this for it's carried off to strange visions, manifestations, speculations, as well as to horrid and monstrous works, fastings and watchings, etc. This is where the monks and the philosophers among the heathen came from. Look, look at how Luther says he, he's identifying the source of the monasteries and the source of the philosophers, is that they use reason to try to find out what is the glorious good, uh, good life as, What's the what 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 should a good life be like? And and reason carries you off to all of these crazy ideas. They wanted to gain preeminence over others by these monstrosities. There, look at how Luther calls these invent self-invented works monstrosities. I don't wonder if there's a play on words there in German with monastery and to turn the eyes of the crowd upon themselves. Look at me. But the wisdom of the world is foolishness before God, just like the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. Jacob, accordingly, lives without the outward show of works in marriage and slavery. That's what, That was his life. Lots of marriages and lots of slavery. He appears worthless before God as he's the most wretched in the world, for the world does not discern what faith is and what power faith has. Such a hidden and unknown thing is faith to reason now this this is a a, a phenomenal insight from luther about and and you know in some ways this is kind of classic luther uh that there is a contrast between faith and reason not not because faith goes against reason but it's not visible to reason reason can't get there faith is beyond it According to the statement of Christ, the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. It neither sees nor hears 
nor perceives him by any sense. You can't, there is no kind of ghostbuster meter to determine where the Holy Spirit is. We should make it our aim that the godly are taught and stirred up to faith in the word so that they may be found eager in the practice of the word, trusting in the word. Jessica says, Luther often comforts his listeners that their humble duties have eternal significance and are ordered and commanded by God because that is what we humans struggle much with in our fallen nature. That's exactly right. I, by the way, found this. I, I've been thinking about this a lot. I found this book. I don't know how it came, but I ordered it on, in December, I guess. Every Moment Holy. Because, now I don't... I like it and I don't like it. Part of the part of this, my little project about the very different prayers, is uh, kind of inspired about from this book because what it does is it has, um, it has little kind of prayers and liturgies for very normal stuff. So it has here for the changing of diapers one, <laughs> for the changing of diapers two, and that in this reminded me of Luther, who talks about that, you know, when the mom is changing diapers, she's doing a holy and heavenly work. And it seems like the least holy and the least heavenly. And yet there is something wonderful about it. Now, the reason I don't, ah, it's fine. I don't know if some of you have this book and have used it. Um, I'm not against it. It smells like the 70s to me. There's a whole the 60s and 70s when you read the 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 theological works from them they were they were there's a just a, a i don't know a shape to the poetry of it that sort of is off-putting to me i don't even know how to explain it it's my problem not your problem but i'm but i'm thinking about this like how do we take the normal things and all and recognize that the the lord is using them that the lord is blessing them in the small little things, this is because we because they're done, and not just because they're small things and little things, but because they're done by faith. I mean, the reason why the changing of the diaper is a holy, godly, good work is because the person doing it has faith. Here, Luther says, "Look, we should mark, and we should sorry, we should make it our aim that the godly are taught and stirred up." Uh, to faith in the word, so that they may be found eager to practice the word. For in that case, all the works, <clears throat> political and domestic, with which they're occupied, are excellent works. Whether you walk, whether you sleep, whether you're awake, all your works are pleasing to God because of the word, faith, and the spirit which dwells in you are good. So that even your sleeping, can you imagine this? Even your sleeping is pleasing to God. <laughs> That's so great. Uh, finally, this also belongs to our consolation, that Jacob says that God, that the God of his father has been on his side and that he has regard for his affliction and the toil of his hands. For what else is the toil of his hands but the poor, weak, and sordid duties which have hitherto been described in him as in any other shepherd? These things the Holy Spirit wanted to set before the churches and the believers as an example for their strengthening, that they may know for certain that God has regard for all the works of the saints and the godly, 
Yes, he even numbers the hairs one by one, as has been stated several times above. So great is his concern and care for those who hear his word and believe it. You have the word. You have God's. You have God's delight. That's the idea. <laughs> Marla says, I don't get a lot of sleep, but when I do, I praise God. <laughs> That's right. Trish, like 1970s Jonathan Livington Siegel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. There's all there's these books of print and but maybe the reason why I sort of chafe against them uh is because I'm always just trying to say things as plain as possible, like as kind of unadorned, just I mean I sometimes you want to say things nice so they sound nice, you know. You 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 gotta decorate the cake with some icing, but I just you you just I I just want it to be plain so it, it doesn't get and and sometimes it's that so I'm I I prioritize simplicity over beauty I suppose this consolation moreover is especially necessary for the church because one two three the devil together with the world and our flesh in wretched fashion afflict and harass those who have the word so not only do we have affection from God and good pleasure from God because of the word, but we also have, because of the word, a big fight on our hands. Now, we'll, we'll just kind of remember this this little triad here, the devil, the world, and the flesh. And and I was thinking about it. I'm always, I'm always wondering about this. I think I got it straight. Luther will give two different lists of three so on the one hand, we'll have, like we have here, we have the devil and the world and the flesh. And then on the other hand, he'll say the devil, sin, death, and the devil, sin and death. So sin, death, and devil, and world, flesh, and devil. And those are the, the kind of two lists uh, that he will... Uh, that he will sometimes list, and we say, "Well, what you know? What's the difference? What's going on between the two? I I think it's nice to notice that these, in some ways, are three opposed wills, or maybe energies. They're uh, in some ways person, uh, but not really. I don't know. If, not really person, but like um, these are coming against you." I think wills might be the way to do it. Or could you energy? And this is rather than an energy, this is more like a place or a dominion. Domin dominion or um even a result. Uh it, it's kind of description or uh so that the so that the devil and the world and the flesh are pushing you towards the devil and sin and death. And that death belongs to all three. It's not like it's not like there's an equivalent, like the flesh is to death and the world is to sin and the and the devil is to the devil. No, that all three of these are trying to bring about all three of these. So maybe this is the work. This is the work. Uh, better switch colors here. Uh, this would be the work, and this would be the result. Something like that. So that the, these are our enemies. This is who we fight, and this is why we fight. Something like that. So I think it's sometimes good to look at these these three lists. Now there is um, an equivalent that Luther is going to give 
uh, quite beautifully to these three, devil, sin, and death, and that is in his the opposite triad of uh, life, forgiveness, and salvation. So that the Lord gives... Uh, oh, someone, Steve says forces. Yeah, that's right. I think this would be, that. that's what forces would be. That. So that the devil um, wants us to have death, sin, but the Lord gives us life, forgiveness, and salvation. And so we have where the forgiveness of sins is, there is life and salvation. So that's uh, so that's really helpful. Uh, the, the opposite, let's see if we could do the opposite on the other side to the world, the flesh, and the devil, um, and see if I can, I haven't, I hadn't thought that one through yet, but see what happens. So we have the world and the flesh. Oh yeah, I can think I can do this. And the devil here, we have uh, the kingdom of God, that's the church. And here we have the spirit, the spirit versus the flesh. And here we have Christ himself. And well, let's say Holy Spirit to make it, to make it all match. So we have uh, Holy Spirit and the new man and God's kingdom, the church. Is that goodness, truth, and beauty? I think that, that, let me see if goodness, truth, and beauty matches up just to, I, I like this kind of thing. I like to think in lists like this. So you guys will have to excuse me. And I think this is a very good question. So we have what is true, whoops, uh, true, and good and beautiful. Uh, those are the three, what do we call it? The three transcendentals. So of course, here's what's, this is the lie. And this is, this is sin. And this could be death. Um, ugly and horror. So sin, death, devil. Yeah, that could match up. We know that all these, there are things that are true and good and beautiful um, apart from Christ, but that Christ is the true and good and beautiful, and he is the culmination of all these things, all bound up together. Okay, now where are we? Here we are. Okay, so the devil and the whole world and our own sinful flesh in wretched fashion afflicts and harasses those who have the word so that... Um, Oh, death and decay. Huh. There's one more chart that we can draw. Boy, I can, I'm some way I'll finish a sentence, but uh, th this has to do with, I, I was thinking about this so that we are, if, if, if you can think of yourself as, okay, you, your body and let's just say soul, let's put your soul here. And if you have corruption, When it shows up, when corruption shows up on the body, it comes out as death. And when corruption shows up on the soul, it comes out as sin. So sin is the corruption of the soul. Death is the corruption of the body. Or you can say it this way. How, how did we say this? How did we say this? Is that... When I say we, I mean I, is that 
sin is death in the soul and death is sin in the body you guys going to let me you going to let me get away with that i think that's true that's from reading Athena from uh, on the incarnation this okay so let's see if we can finish this consolation and protection must not be expected from the world shoop and the princes of this world nor should carnal counsels be sought from ourselves for they are vain carnal counsels that's that's the the probably the language that luther means from what's coming up out of your own sinful flesh those who seek or await help of this kind experience what is said in the psalm, all men are liars. Do not put your trust in princes or a son of man in whom there's no help. Now look at this word help. This is going to be one of the key words of the first commandment for Luther. Who do you look to for help? That is your God. The whole world is carried along in a in its blind frenzy and perishes in its vain counsels and endeavors because it does not want to suffer the persecution of the devil, the ungodly in the flesh. The devil, the world, and the flesh. So we're trying to avoid all of these things. And we and we result in running from God. Hence, God must have regard and care for his own, who, destitute of all help and counsel, have their eyes fixed on his word. It's all about the word. So much, did you see? The word, the word, the word. For they bear the cross in their troubles. This is, a remember, one of the, the marks of the Christian is that you bear the cross. And why do you bear the cross? Because as soon as you have the word, whoosh, the world and the flesh and the devil are after it. Joey says, I love the way scriptures point to, simpli uh, to simplicity always, just complete reliance and contentment with God and what he has for you. Indeed, praise God. So Jacob was tormented not only by the devil, by his own father-in-law, that's the world, his blood relative, even that's the world getting very close to being your own flesh. Therefore, we should learn and observe this, that God numbers all our actions and thoughts, however trifling and abject they may be, if only we believe in him. For if we care for his word, he in turn cares for us in all adversities which are thrown in our way by the world and Satan. Oh, what comfort. What comfort. All right. That's a great spot to stop. Although, boy, I'll tell you, I did not intend to not get that far. There's a lot that's coming up. In fact, some really beautiful stuff. Uh, I mean, he talks about the hypocrisy of Jacob, but then there's um, uh, this business of an evil conscience and what uh, what an evil conscience looks like. Ugh. So we'll try to get to that next week. Oh, boy. See if we can do it. So let's stop here uh, and have a prayer, and then we will... Um, Stop the recording and see what questions you guys have. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to study and rejoice in your word and doctrine this day. We pray that you would comfort us with this truth, that by faith you delight in us and look upon us, and even the smallest things, even our sleep, uh, and the little tedious works that belong to our various vocations. You number them and delight in them. They bring pleasure to you. We pray that we would continue to live by faith in your word and that your spirit would protect us from all the assaults of the world and our own sinful flesh and the devil. And that you would keep us uh, in your treasured kingdom through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, 
One God, world without end. Amen.